What if I told you there's a company that's been involved with some form of digital farming for more than 25 years and you would be surprised who it is? Stick around to learn more. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. For some listeners, when you hear the phrase digital farming, you may conjure up a specific company or two right away, but I wonder if you'd have thought of Syngenta. Yes, this company has been working with farmers to provide insights and build a system that offers digital support in a variety of ways, and they're expanding that effort in 2023. We caught up with Ron Kalman, head of Digital Agriculture Solutions with Syngenta, at a recent event to discuss how its company tackles the challenge of turning data into knowledge. The approach is a little different than some. He discusses how it works and what they're going to be doing next year. The conversation is interesting and shows how far we've come in managing on-farm information. So Ron Kalman, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Um, You know, we've been talking here at the Syngenta event a few weeks ago about uh, a lot of different topics, but your area is digital and digital farming is part of your role at Syngenta. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do at Syngenta first and we'll dig into your approach to this, which I think is a little different than some people see in the marketplace. Yeah, thanks, Willie. So... I am head of digital ag solutions for North America uh, for Syngenta, and, and what that really means is um, I'm responsible for developing and executing our digital agricultural strategy uh, across our crop protection and seed care uh, business functions within Syngenta. I also collaborate closely with my seed colleagues who also have a digital strategic uh, platform and intent, mm-hmm. and so because we we have overlapping customers we align as best as we can uh, with our digital strategy and our approach and the tools that we use Um, i've been in this role uh, for two years now prior to that i was in the global digital ag role where i was uh, responsible for some of the merger and acquisitions of the digital companies around the world to help give us a global presence that we have today and that's one thing, before we get into that a little bit, that there has been some nice low-hanging fruit in the digital world, startups that have created new ideas that might not be able to get by on their own, or maybe they were going to be fine, but they're better as part of this digital family. <clears throat> that was exactly our intent as we looked at where we needed presence and where we needed skills and where we needed specific functionality. Um, we first took a look at existing companies in the marketplace. Was there partnership opportunities? Was there acquisition opportunities? And you know what we found was that there wasn't a lot of companies that had established presence. And but there was a ton of different startups, uh, whether that was one year or five years in the making, uh, that both had uh, some presence, but probably more importantly, had a strong roadmap. Uh, and a strong connection to what the customer pain points were yeah. in the market, which is where our strategy sits firmly. Um, you know, we we look at this from a standpoint of uh, kind of a three-step process, right? Number one, what does the customer need? Number two, do we have within our portfolio, and I'm talking our standard product portfolio, mm-hmm. do we have a solution for that need? And then step three is how can we take a digital tool to enable the delivery of that solution, um, the refinement of that solution, or differentiation uh, of that solution. And so we kind of use that as our core as to what do we need, where do we go to, who has presence in the marketplace, who has those capabilities, 
and uh, that led us to um, uh, creating a, a partnership and then thus an acquisition in Latin America, uh, the same in Eastern Europe, and two within the U.S. Um, and then once we had kind of those companies established and we now had uh, tools to work with in every region, step two of our strategy was, you know, build it once, reuse it many times. Right. <clears throat> and uh, so you'll see different variations of the same digital tool in each region, but it's obviously, um, you know, applicable for that particular region and has some refinement towards that. That's true. It's interesting. I think the listeners might be surprised if they haven't been paying attention. I wasn't. It's complicated. You've been in the digital farming space for 22 years. That's I believe right. that's what we talked about. That is right. um, it's always been AgriEdge, or was it? How did that start out? Yeah. So 22 years, it's been AgriEdge. Okay. Three years prior to that, okay. Um, you know, it was under different names um, when we when we first started. So okay. <clears throat> our our digital engagement with customers started 25 years ago with a, a software tool that helped growers in the southern part of the United States track their chemistries because the state chemist was needing to know all of the applications that was going on cotton, mm -hmm. as an example. And so that's where it began. And so the first quote-unquote program name was Cotton Advantage. Okay. Uh, and then from there... <laughs> I remember that. Yes. Yeah. And so that was the, the basis of our AgriEdge program. And, you know, what we learned there was growers around the country have similar needs. Yeah. And as we evolved the digital tool, um, we've, we, we expanded it through other markets. And, you know, Cotton Advantage doesn't have a big play in the Midwest. So, no. uh, you know, we rebranded to an AgriEdge, um, which is our marketing umbrella by which our digital technologies fall underneath and it's, it went along that way for a long time, AgriEdge, and LandDB came in. That's a farm management software, and that kind of, it became more of a broader topic or uh, product. This space caught fire in digital farming with more startups, as we talked about some yes. you acquired, but there were a couple of big ones that were startups, and now they're part of bigger things. How does that change the face of digital farming? Does that just legitimize what you guys were trying to do 25 years ago? Because that's part of this, right? One person shouting in the forest. <laughs> is one kind of business. Five people shouting in the forest about the value of something is a different kind of business. Has this helped the digital farming's come of age? <clears throat> it, it certainly has. I mean, anytime you have more players <clears throat> in the field, uh, you know, the more activity is going to take place. But I, I think it's a culmination of a couple things. Number one is, is certainly when you have um, different companies bringing forth a variety of different tools you tend to find niches within the marketplace that those tools are adopted. And you know, as adoption occurs, success stories begin to rise, you know, and this rising tide floats all boats kind right, of uh, right. phenomenon. Um, but I also think what is occurring is, you know, the ag industry has been lagging a bit from a technology perspective from other industries, right? I mean, okay. We're certainly nowhere near mm -hmm. what you would consider the medical industry or the financial industry. Um, but that is coming to bear uh, in light of world food supply, uh, the current environment around you know, the globe, um, the global connectivity that our trade markets have in agriculture. And so all that has brought forward a need for um, producers to have you know, more data and more accurate data that will help them make decisions. And I, I use that word carefully because... We're not in the business of saying, 
here's the data set that tells you how to manage your operation. Right. Um, freedom to operate is extremely important. And at the end of the day, what we want to do is facilitate the decision-making process. And in agriculture, from our view, we, we kind of break it up into two components. There's precision agriculture, mm-hmm. and then there's decision agriculture. Oh. And so our tools are based upon um, capturing data, providing insights that will help a producer with an informed decision. Um, and so from there, he can take all of his or her knowledge, put that on top of or with the data insights that our tools provide along with the product choices that he has and manage his or her farm appropriately. Farmers engage AgriEdge kind of at, at their leisure is the wrong phrase, at their convenience or the way that they need to work, right? I mean, you don't have to go all in with AgriEdge. You can do it for some kind of chemical decision making. As you said, there's, I think there's seed, but the, I don't have to do everything all at once, right? Absolutely not. So within our AgriEdge program, there are five pillars Okay. Uh, entry. Uh, and so we refer to it as asset. So, okay. So A is agronomics. Right. And so if you want a digital file cabinet of such to capture all the applications and management practices, basically every time you touch a particle of soil, if you mm-hmm. want to capture that, you can do that as a farm management record keeping system. The S then stands for sustainability. Okay. And, or stewardship, if you right. will. And so because you're capturing the information on your farm, you now have a story to support what most producers are doing in their everyday life of stewarding the land. Right. But, but you've got to capture and, and a way to measure and report on that. The other S stands for service. And, and so this is one of our differentiation parts is we have a dedicated staff, both remote and in person, that helps a producer uh, work through the software, understand the insights, create customized dashboards for the insights that they want to see on a regular basis. Um, and then the E is for economics. So within the, uh, the tool, there is a, uh, you can put your planning, you can put your expected marketing um, output, and thus you can create ROI and profitability analysis on huh. a per field or subcrop, so multiple crops within a field basis. So that's where the economics piece comes in. And then the T stands for technology. Um, And so in this case, historically, it's always been our land EB technology tool that's now moving to CropWise Financials, um, which is a rewrite and an evolution of that. But then other technology comes into play now, such as imagery and such as scouting services. So we have CropWise imagery coming, we have CropWise protector coming, we have CropWise seed selector. So all of these fall under the technology pillar. So back to your original question, a grower can choose what entry point is best for his or her operation at any given point, and from there they can expand. I think that's that's fascinating, and, and I think what people don't I know we've written about this. You you actually have a partnership with Sony on imagery, some of that work that you've done on higher level imagery. I know that's still maybe in an experimental stage, but different partnerships. You've long been a partner with uh, Lindsay Zematic Irrigation for irrigation management, which is a different tool I can engage if I'm in Nebraska or anywhere else. I've got to pivot, I guess. I mean, those are the kinds of things I don't think people quite understand. But as this grows, and what you just laid out, the asset you laid out is this CropWise product, which is basically new for, new as a a concept, right, for AgriEdge now, for 2023, going into that, and you're bringing, you're bringing a new dashboard. Let's back up a second, though. You talked about that first asset, agronomy. The, 
and we didn't talk about this before, but you've got all the APIs figured out, right? I can pull in my case, my agco, my deer. That's not that's a no brainer. Um, and my dealer can provide my their custom application records into my AgriEdge too, right? <clears throat> Yeah, so with, within the CropWise platform, right? And so this this is key. You have the AgriEdge <laughs> umbrella, which is how we go to market, right? But underneath that, and is the the, the digital platform, right? And so CropWise is the platform by which these tools sit on top of. And um, what we have done is, when we talk to producers, one of their biggest pain points around technology is, I only want to log in one time to one system. Right. <clears throat> I don't want to have duplication of data entry. I I don't want to remember multiple passwords, no different than you and I. And so, although there's not a true one-stop shop, what we have done with our platform is we have taken a base platform and put um, producer information in, farm field tree boundaries, um, you know, geographical information, um, so that no matter what tool they're using under the AgriEdge program, that pulls in the same data set each and every time. And so, so we're able to bring forward a user experience to the producer of, I log in one time into one system. And from there, we feed the back end of that system the information that the, that the producer pulls up. That also allows us to be able to create a dashboard and an analytics uh, functionality for the producer because all of his information, no matter which product he is using in the platform, all flows through the platform and then can be pulled up in a multitude of visualization tools and dashboards. And we think that's important because each producer will have a different need at a different time on a different crop in a different year. Right. Um, and versus building specific dashboards per product, we're building a separate dashboard tool that then pulls in specific data upon request for that grower to visualize what he or she needs at that given time. So we're using a phrase that a lot of people may have heard, may not understand, but a dashboard is basically just the way you represent a lot of data in a simple, not simplified, but in a easy to digest approach, right? There are boxes on a screen, like a, like a car dashboard. There's like a speedometer, there's a yield map maybe area, there's a financial area, and they can all tie together, right? I mean, that's one thing that this is sort of the holy grail of digital farming now is the dashboard that I can get my John Deere data and I can get my dealer data and I can get my own information. But when I look at it, it's not piles of sheets. It gives me stuff that I can just, oh, there's a pie chart and I'm in trouble on this field. Or there's a, there's a, a warning light that there's an imagery issue popping out of something like that. I mean, is that how that works? That's exactly. In fact, your analogy is, is perfect. Uh, in that, you know, if I if I think about the Ford truck that yeah. I have, right, right, I can customize the view on my dashboard, um, and and we're talking about the same thing. So any given producer can choose, you know, what is the default view when he logs in, uh, but he can customize different views at any given time based on the information that he wants. So you can think about it as a car dashboard. You can right. think about it, you know, as an Excel spread spreadsheet template type yeah. of thing. But in either case. Uh, it allows the producer to put front and center what they're looking at daily. So, you know, I have a specific one. When I log in, it automatically pops up. That's my default. Okay. But <clears throat> depending on the year or the crop, I may move that around a bit. And this is what we consider the visualization capability for the producer um, to be able to do that. So when he or she logs in, it's customized to their specific needs. Well, that's going to be exciting, though, because I uh, pretty much everybody's overwhelmed with data. Yes, if we can visualize that data in a way that allows me to make decisions on it, 
then I'm not overwhelmed with data anymore. That's exactly right. And so I go back to this is the, the premise behind yeah. decision agriculture right. versus precision. And, and I would also add, you know, we, we have customers that want the insights, but, but either through a lack of time or, or skill, you know, aren't necessarily technically adapt to, to, to create the dashboard views that they, that they want or to put the data in that right. they wish to have. And that's okay. Um, you know, we try to make the tool as intuitive as possible, but we, we understand there's also limitations. So this is where the service piece comes in our asset model. Okay. Is we have a dedicated service team in mm-hmm. our digital office that will create those dashboards for the producer via phone call or wow. email. And so as long as, you know, that producer has provided the appropriate permissions right. for that individual on the other line, we can create those dashboards for the producer so that they're not wasting their time, if you will, on doing setup. Um, you know, we had a we had a customer that said, "You know what? I like to eat. I just don't want to cook." <laughs> and that's this, an excellent analogy, though. I mean, absolutely, yeah. and that's what he was referring to. Is I want the information and the insights, but I don't have the time to prepare all that. So we will do that for you as part of our service model. Well, that's interesting, and I think that's going to become more valuable. You made a comment about permissions. The data is my own. Absolutely. I control the data. Yeah, you're not doing anything with the data <laughs> unless I let you. Yeah, let, let me be extremely. Please clear be clear on that. <laughs> um, this is the foundational core to our technology strategy. Okay. Um, and and it's basically in three parts. Part number one is we have what's called privacy by design, meaning when we build a technology tool, we build it with the ability for permissions for the end user. Uh, meaning, if I'm a producer and I want to provide you as a partner viewing permissions, we do that on a per-field basis. Because we know our producers have multiple partners. And you might be my partner on field A. Mm-hmm. Another individual might be my partner on field B. Right. Well, I don't want you to see field B. Correct. So we, we create the capability of the tool from the beginning, from when we originally frame it, architect, and code it, to allow that. Secondly, is we abide by the Farm Bureau Data Privacy Act. Um, so we, we follow that completely to the T, and we make our data privacy uh, policy transparent. It's on the website. It's within every conf- contractual agreement that we have. And thirdly, um, you know, we put ourselves through a audit every other year okay. to make sure that our processes flow appropriately and you know what we have intended to do is truly being followed uh, throughout the process and then we make that um, those results available to the customers at any given time if they want to know where we stood on that what our results were so transparency is key um, being up front with the customer is key and at the end of the day for us it's simple the grower owns his or her data period if they choose to share that then we facilitate that decision through the software. Um, I mean, they can't call somebody and say, hey, would you give my partner permissions? You as a customer using the software have to do that on your own. Well, that's cool. I mean, that's a level of security I think a lot of people are looking for. But that brings up the other side about the opportunity to the opportunity to uh, provide that data to interesting new third parties. And what I mean by that is, Maybe I want uh, to do a field to market analysis on my farm 
you have those integrations. If I want to do an analysis, maybe with the Nature Conservancy, I can share data to them, right? I mean, this sustainability part of this is going to be interesting once I get this data into the dashboard. How are you looking at that? Yes. So, um, and, and, and to your point, right, once the data is in the dashboard, right, right. so remember, still the grower owns that particular data. But let's say that Field to Market is a partner of multiple right. growers, uh, which, is a, which is a true example. What we do there is then there's a, a separate specific contractual agreement um, where all of those particular producers who want to participate in that analytics, they, they sign and they, they see the transparency. And, and basically what the data says in that contract is your data will be aggregated and anonymized. Right. right. And so you're providing your data but no one at the other end knows whose data it is. It's rolled up into yeah. an anonymized fashion. And that's typically how we handle uh, a lot of third-party partnerships that are asking for multiple data sets. First of all, the individual producer knows what that data is being used for. Right. That's the reason for the contractor agreement. Secondly, there's transparency as to how the data is being structured and anonymized. Uh, and then thirdly, um, you know, back to our data privacy process. If the grower chooses to stop sharing in that out, then it's immediately stopped and deleted. That's nice. I mean, but there's going to be, I think, and I, and I think setting these up are important because we're looking at potential concepts of disaggregation because maybe PepsiCo wants to know for their Doritos brand everything you did with that white corn. Well, today, that's kind of a pain in the neck. But under the CropWise agri-edge model, it should be simpler in the long run, right, to provide that data in a way that, that you're sharing it when you need to and, share, and sharing what you need to. I mean, those are the kinds of things we start hearing about. I don't know where it's going and I don't know if it's going anywhere, <clears throat> but at least now you're set up with an, a framework that could deal with that for people that are trying to play in those new markets. I think that's right, and, and I would agree. I don't know where that's <laughs> going to be. Um, I think it goes back to our premise is when we think about decision agriculture, um, Irregardless of what tool you choose from our digital ecosystem, any one of those tools obviously has data as the foundational part of how they work. Mm -hmm. And that information then can be flowed and shared, given the grower's permission, to any party for any given reason. Um, and, and so, you know, where, where it's changed for us is we used to have one digital tool. Now we have six and soon to be additional digital tools based upon that need of the producer, um, but all the information flowing into one spot, one file cabinet, if you yeah, will, I like that. For, for that grower. I think a lot of guys will like that. Uh, the other, you're bringing out something, you're trialing or advancing to more of a beta stage with a product next year, CropWise. Is it CropWise risk management? Crop, what is that? Talk to me about that. Yeah, there's, there's, there's two, actually, okay, uh, cool. products that, that will be kind of limited, launched in 23 with commercialization in 24. Um, one of those is CropWise Risk Manager. Um, and this is, uh, it will consist of two different tools. There will be a, a tool to... Um, to limit the risk based on adverse weather conditions. Okay. So it's a tool where you can, a producer can protect themselves from weather perils such as frost. 
uh, or drought or heavy rainfall. Hmm. Um, there's even a wind peril, uh, particularly you know in the Midwestern regions where we typically have those straight line winds. Yeah, we don't that, talk about derecho. Just it, it, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that that is one uh, tool, and then the uh, the second risk manager tool. Um, is more of a hedging type tool for commodity price fluctuations um, where customers can kind of set a target price. Uh, We benchmark that against Chicago Board of Trade um, uh, price variations and at the price date if you know if we're above the price is set. Obviously, there's no risk mitigation needed. The grower wins because of that. But if it falls below a certain price threshold, then we share in the risk uh, or the loss that that grower would have had and make up a percentage of the difference. Um, so these are these are interesting mitigation tools that are new to the market. Yeah. And and where we come at that is quite simple. Is if you're going to have a decision technology approach, right? What decisions are in the control of the producer and what decisions are outside of the producer's control? And if you think about those those decisions or those events that are more uncontrollable, weather and market pricing are two of those. And so we're bringing some of our historical technology or historical data sets and algorithms together to kind of predict what that weather event may or may not be, what the price fluctuations may or may not be, and provide a risk mitigation tool against that. That's a pretty big financial load for Signenta to take on. I mean, you laying off risk somewhere else, how does that work? So there is some behind the scenes, you know, and coverage, if you will, for us to limit that. But I think it's important that a risk tool isn't available to everyone. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll certainly uh, launch this in a fashion where we'll have continuous learning right. where it fits, where it does in the proper positioning. Uh, but, you know, given the, the volatility of, of the markets and the environment mm-hmm. today, we feel like there's a value to be captured here. Yeah. Um, but time will tell. Anything else in the in the toolbox you're playing with that might be we might see in 24, 25? I mean, where do you go next with this? Because right now, this is now becoming a very robust dashboard. What you showed here is uh, pretty much a lot of things in under one good umbrella. So what, what goes next? What are you looking at next? Well, I, I think um, I would first answer that question is if we have a conversation this time next year, it'll be completely different than the conversation today, <laughs> right? Because uh, this, this area in our industry is evolving in, uh, so quickly. But if I look at you know our next priorities, it's really about uh, bringing uh, predictive modeling into play. Um, so again, if we think about this decision insight opportunity, yeah. yes, you have historical data sets and historical information that that help um, kind of feed what the future view looks like. But y- you've got to have some type of predictability modeling, training these algorithms that are taking historical information and bringing it forward so that we can deliver more real-time insights that decisions can be based off of, mm-hmm. uh, and future insights of which decisions can be based off of. Uh, and this is where our CropWise uh, Protector product uh, will come in. It's a scouting tool uh, at its core, but it will be where we'll align what our predictive algorithms come, you know, where per- pest models reside. So that's where you'll see a, a lot of engagement between us and producers over the next two years. But that's an interesting area from the standpoint of even of sustainability properly using a product at the at a more logical time rather than just uh i think there's aphids <laughs> you know that kind of thing that these fields are and and the neat thing about a dashboard is you could set up alerts so it could tell you the fields 
that you should be looking at treating in the next two or three days, it could just pop up, right? I mean, those are the kinds of things that Protector might eventually do. It, it absolutely will. And a quick example might be within Protector, it, you will set up a customized scouting protocol, right? Which also includes timing, you yeah. know, how often. But you take that and you overlay it against environmental conditions that are conducive to a certain pest. Yeah. And it begins to throw red flags as to, okay, you are scheduled to view this field next Tuesday. Environmental conditions say that the disease is coming in three days early. And so it rearranges your scouting priorities based oh, cool. on environmental conditions. And you might say, well, how does that align to sustainability? Well, now you're, you're customizing really the amount of energy you're using in your scouting service or in your application services. And so uh, it, will it reduce the carbon footprint overall? Potentially, um, because now you're spending energy on the appropriate things at the appropriate time versus I may just be on a weekly scouting you know, tour right. when I don't need to be. Oh, uh, that's true. So just small areas there that I think we can begin to connect to. But that's where um, when we talk about what's the next couple of years, these predictability models, these uh, um, future decisions based off insights, that's where I think uh, the market is leaning towards. I'm seeing some interesting stuff on modeling. I mean, the interesting thing is I think some farmers may not know. There are some amazing deep models that universities have worked on, and they're in stacks of paper in a library somewhere. And now they're being brought in to these algorithms, the decision model parts of the model. And you, you know, they never had the data, but they had the math, right? Correct. And, and, and so it's finding those models that maybe a plant physiologist worked on 10 years ago on predictability and how this weather event affects this. Well, now if you match that with the actual data, that model suddenly gets real, right? Absolutely. And I... Although I cannot share our partners, we are. <laughs> I didn't ask that question. <laughs> we are absolutely working with universities today in our decision modeling uh, and helping to train our algorithms for the reasons you just outlined. You know, we have the ability to have real data on real fields with real customers. Um, the math, the methodology uh, that the university experience brings forward, and the resources and talent that they have coming through their system is something that cannot be ignored. And so uh, it is a key component to our predictability modeling and how we bring that forward. There's some, I mean, I've been to enough meetings and enough white paper presentations. There's some really great um, algorithms out there or data that didn't have the data, but the idea was right. And that's when you made it to the data. That's, I think, what people are trying to get their heads around now, what big data really means. And in agriculture, what it really means is that you may get an alert that says you, you need to fire up the irrigation pump now or you need to do... Um, maybe you shouldn't plant until Tuesday. You know, those kinds of things may get to that point someday. So, yeah, I think that I think that's true. I I, I would caution us yes. though to think that the the data is your sole point God, of decision making. And I again, I go back to the reason we have service in our asset model. Right, is is that particular component um, is there to help a producer bounce ideas off of given the data sets that he or she has. Right, right. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's certainly um, better than uh, not having uh, data to make informed decisions uh, off of. And I think that's particularly true as we see the succession of the farm come forward is, uh, you know, we're seeing the next generation be more comfortable with, you know, the technology itself, but also the output of technology. Yes. Um, and I, I think, you know, the, the technology component will have a bigger play in the decision-making process as we move forward. 
Well, it's fascinating. Ron Kalman, thanks for talking digital farming with me and where you're headed, but also where the whole industry might be headed with the way data and analytics might be coming together for modeling and decision making and service in agriculture. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You're gathering information from so many sources these days, it's interesting to hear how at least one company is working to help sort it out. Thanks to Ron Kalman, head of Digital Agriculture Solutions at Syngenta, for sharing what that company is doing and providing insight on how the farm data market is changing. This was an interesting conversation, and if you don't want to miss what we're talking about here at Around Farm Progress, simply subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and more. And if you have a smart speaker, all you have to do is tell it to listen to Around Farm Progress and you're going to hear the latest episode. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs. And our events, including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, the Farm Futures Summit, and the New York Farm Show. And the Farm Futures Summit is coming soon. This event, which kicks off with the Farm Futures Ag Finance Boot Camp on January 18th, 2023, fires up on Thursday with January 19th with a full slate of big speakers. Just added to the summit program is a conversation between Howard Buffett and Max Armstrong, who will be on hand to discuss work being done for farmers in Ukraine. But you're also going to hear from great speakers like David Cole and Jolene Brown and other top speakers dealing with farm business, succession, management, and marketing issues. It's an information-packed program, and you can learn more at farmfuturesummit.com, including getting your hotel room. We're back in Iowa City, so an easy drive for a lot of Midwest growers. Make plans to join us. And join me next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.